0: God has called the Christian to be a person of prayer and his church to be a house of prayer. Christ has openly wondered when talking about the need for enduring prayer if when he returns he would find his people at prayer. It is a suggestion that we ourselves could fall into apostasy by giving up on our prayers. Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hugen, and this is the Bread of Life, a radio ministry of the International Mission Church Partnership Evangelism and its associate fellowship, the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. Our outreach has found expression in over 40 countries around the world. To learn more about us, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. The prayer God calls for in the church is not strategically located around our own personal blessings and comforts. Our prayers are to logistically move upon the delivery of lost souls to the King so that people may know and worship Him. First Timothy chapter 2 is our text. It is a call for prayer formed from God's desire to see all men saved and founded upon Jesus' work of providing salvation at the cross. And for us, the application is found in 1 Timothy 2, verse 8. God desires that everywhere His people should be found praying. The underlying current of desire in our prayer ought to be the salvation of people who don't know Jesus Christ. It ought to be the thing that typifies, that somehow identifies the nature of our prayers. That we're praying for the other, for the person that's outside the faith, the person that needs to know the power of God and the life of God and the salvation of God and needs to experience his spiritual healing and needs to experience his complete and full forgiveness and needs to be, have that, that gap that's between him and God where now he lives in a dead state, a spiritually dead state, and he's made alive and he has a relationship with him and a relationship that's unending and will last forever and ever. And we are to pray above all things for those things. And all of our prayers in the church are to align in such a way that they're supported by and undergirded by this overriding desire. So when we pray for changes in circumstances, when we pray for someone's health, when we pray for protection, when someone's traveling, when we pray for blessing upon our children when they take some test in school, whatever it is, when we pray for a believer who is caught up in a moment of anxiety or trial or testing, we're praying that God would deliver them out of that trial or test. There's supposed to be something underlying the passions and the interest of our prayer in the church. There's supposed to be, a, in a sense, a strategic locating of the purpose of those prayers. And the locating of the purpose is the salvation of lost men and women if we just gather before the throne of God to pray for our blessings or to pray for the blessing of our children or to pray for some healing of a sore elbow or somebody's spleen or whatever it is, if we just get together to pray for someone to recover from some accident or to be safe in some journey they're making, we're praying no differently than pagans do before their temples. We're asking of our God the same thing that they ask of their gods. Bless me. Bring me comfort. Bring comfort to those around me. Limit the distresses on the lives around me so I don't have to suffer with those distresses myself. Do good to me. It's no different. So when God says he desires in every place to find God's people at prayer, he's not asking to say, I want to find you praying for all the physical benefits you need in your life. And for all the financial succession in your life and for all the mental peace that you want in your life so your life is better. Strategically at the heart of all of our prayers in the church is this longing desire that Christ might, in agreement with the passion and heart of God, that all men might be saved. It's a desire for the salvation of souls. It would change the way we pray. Not only that, it would change not only the way we pray, it would change the way we act because we're praying for an environment that we ourselves then can walk into. We hear of people that are sick and we get prayer requests to pray for that individual. I would like to know, is this person a Christian? Does this person know Christ? Is this person living for him? Is this person in full surrender to him? I would like to know so I know how to pray. Lord, let this event soften their heart to you. Let them see that you're the God who heals in order to know that you're the God who can deal with every area of their life. Lord. Bring them into a deeper commitment, to surrender to you through this, a deeper trust to you, so that life might reflect you more and more to the people among which they live. Lord, let this be the interim point for your gospel to be heard. Lord, bring comfort to the family who's lost a loved one, so that now you are the God of all comfort, and God with it, bring an opportunity for someone to come, including one of us, to tell them you are the God of all comfort, and you've dealt with every great turmoil at the cross, Lord Jesus, you experienced death for us in our place in order that we might be set free and know you forever and ever. And, oh God, let your great truths prevail in these situations. And you see what I'm saying. It changes the way that we approach the prayer request and the things we pray for. And that's what's being expressed in this passage. The heart of prayer. So first, God desires us to pray. And second... This prayer was to be our request to God to be strategically aligned with God's desire to see people saved. Here's the third thing. We're called to pray because God works through our prayers to establish an environment for a greater response to the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. In other words, although there is this prophetic pronouncement of where the world is going to go, somehow our prayers affect the movement of that that direction of history. So we pray for peace and we pray for quietness. So here's somewhat of the problem. It brings us back to the question we ask: Should we not just concede to the things that we see as the inevitabilities of God's prophecies that will take place in the final days? Paul writes in the second letter of Timothy, and what Paul writes in the second letter of Timothy seems to, in a sense, contradict the conditions that we're to pray for in the first letter of Timothy. In the first letter, we're praying for conditions of peace and quietness, in order that we might live a godly life, in order to make known the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul will talk about totally different conditions to expect in the last days. Look at verses 1 through 7 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, For among them are those who creep into houses and capture weak women, burdened with sins and lead astray and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. In the first passage, we're to pray for individuals and we're to pray for their salvation. We're to pray for the conditions for that salvation to take place. That's in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and 2. Because God desires that all men might be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. In this passage we read that there is such a condition taking place in the last days that people are ever learning and never coming to the knowledge of the truth. So what do we make of this? Here is the inevitability of the last days. A growing problem that will take hold and yet in 1 Timothy chapter 2 God is calling us, Paul is calling us to pray against these inevitable conditions for a different environment altogether. So how are we to understand this? Well, I think we can only conclude that God is revealing to us by Paul that he is willing to respond to our prayers and change the environment and even delay some of the negative effects that will set in during these last days. Our prayers and our lives of obedience can positively change outcomes in history and our lack of prayer and unresponsiveness to God does just the opposite. For better or worse, the world is impacted when we pray and when we don't pray for the souls and the salvation of men and women. Take your Bibles for a moment and let me illustrate this in Second Chronicles. Take your Bibles and go to Second Chronicles chapter 7. Here is a passage that uh, is communicating to us the moment in which the temple has been built, Solomon's temple has been built, and Solomon is devoting or dedicating that temple to the Lord, and Solomon makes a prayer before God, a request before God, that if judgment comes upon the people, and the people return and repent, that God would relent in his judgment. In verse 12 through 14 of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, the Lord responds to Solomon it says then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people there's judgment and that judgment entails a response to their people's sin if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. God says, I'll change it. I'll reverse the order of things. I'll redirect this judgment back into life and healing and restoration. Chapter, look, look at 17 through 22 of the same chapter. Verses 17 through 22 of the same chapter. Now God turns his attention to Solomon and he makes a word to Solomon. This first promise was a promise to the people. Now here's a promise to Solomon. As for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you and this house that I have consecrated for my name And I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among the peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, everyone passing by will be astonished and say, Why has the Lord done this thus to this land and to this house? And then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore, he has brought all this disaster on them. Now what seems obvious if you look at this passage is that there are some options as to how history will play out. There are some options as to what will take place and become the history according to our responses to God. Again, there are things that God has decreed as inevitable outcomes coming upon the ages but as we approach these moments and times, this same dynamic seems to be in play. We can delay the judgment of God just as salt delays the putrefaction of what's rotting we can in that moment of delay display light into darkness therefore we don't just concede to the sure events of God's pronounced judgments that will come upon this world though we might accept one day when they come their appearance that God is in control and trust him we don't concede to them if we are alive in that time period in which the final judgments begin to unfold and the ages we begin to see the drawing to a conclusion this world age that will end with Christ's great fiery judgment upon the land I believe we'll be more than ready to submit to his hand if up to that point in time we have been submitting to God's leading and God's will and God's desire that we should be at prayer for the salvation of lost souls. There again, God has decreed, I desire that in every place the men should pray. We should be a prayer. That's it. Now maybe you have some great prayer needs for your health, your financial fix, your emotional turmoil. We should pray for one another for these things. But can we think how to pray in such a way and for such a reason that the answer may have the potential of more and more people learning about Jesus and His love for them and His provision to save them. Think about it. Pray it out. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life in Boise, Idaho. We're at work to take this gospel to the ends of the earth, and we need your prayers and support. To learn more, go to traincpe.org or breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, may God bless you.